welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen to this spirit-filled word by David Entry. When you catch a word, you have caught God. May you catch a word today that will cause God to change your story. Be blessed. 2 Peter chapter 3, reading from verse 8 to 18. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, Lord, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of, the, of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What a powerful scripture. Now, in a previous teaching, I spoke about how Peter takes his time in the verse chapter 2 to tell us about how false teachers are coming. And when you look at chapter 2, the things he spoke about were very similar, almost like parallel to what Jude wrote about. The only difference between what Peter wrote about in chapter 2 and what um, Jude wrote about is that Peter said they are coming, but Jude said they are here. Jude said now they are in our midst. And Peter gave the description or characteristics of these people who are coming. And Jude also told us about them. But in the chapter 3, Peter goes on to talk about how they are they, uh, they are approached. First of all, their plan is mockery. They mock the things that we believe in. 
they mock the things the Bible teaches us, the promises of God. Because, you know, the early church, at the time the New Testament was written, they were expecting the coming of the Lord. So some knew that they would see the return of Christ in their lifetime. They believed it. They, they wrote about it. They lived like that. They knew that the coming of the Lord was going to be within their lifetime. Now, 2,000 years later, he still hasn't come. And before some of the, the early church, before they passed, false prophets were now saying, you see, some of you were expecting. This thing they say is coming. It's not coming. It's not coming. They, so they started mocking the church. And not only mocking the church, they also started attacking the possibility of the second coming. To say that it's, it's not coming. So can you imagine if 2,000 years ago, when the believers who knew he was, his coming was imminent were being mocked, then 2,000 years ahead, those of us now, we have to be extra, extra careful and believe more. Because even people in those days fell away because of the false teacher's supposition. And as I said last week, their, their argument was not a scholar, scholarly argument. It was a moral issue. Because their argument was not inspired by scholarship. It was inspired by lust. It's what they wanted. What they wanted generated a, a certain kind of philosophy, a certain kind of ideology. So in chapter 2, verse 2, Peter made reference to their lust. Second uh, Peter 2, 2. Peter spoke about, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Do you understand that? Um, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken. The people who follow their pernicious ways, their harmful ways, which was inspired by last. Verse 12 of chapter 2 says that, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. It's their last that is making, and it says that they are like natural brute beasts caught, who are meant to be caught to be destroyed. Verse 13 says that, and shall receive the reward of their unrighteousness. When you read some translations, it's talking about their last, their unrighteousness. As they that count pleasure in, uh, to riot in the daytime, sports they are and blemishes, sporting themselves in their own deceivings whilst they feast with you. So, you see, Peter was saying that these people, they are, what motivates them, what drives them is last. The Greek word for that last is epithumia. Epithumia. A strong desire that violates every common sense. Epithumia. Most people who commit rape is epithumia. They want it. They want it at any cost. So even common sense will be thrown out of the window. So Peter said that these people are, look at verse 15 of chapter 2. He made mention of them about their last injury. He said that, which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozo, and love the wages of unrighteousness. It's all inspired by, by lust. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says that, for when they speak, they speak great swelling words of vanity, they are allured to the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. So they are servants to their lust. And verse 22 talks about like dogs returning to its vomit. They turn back. This is last generated philosophy. 
And so, all what they are saying about the coming of Christ is not based on actual facts, based on clear intelligence and scholarship uh, research, but it's just based on last. The last is generated. Most times when people say there is no God, usually it's because if you say there is God, that comes with all kinds of implications. And the God of the Bible is too restrictive when it comes to sexual freedoms. So a lot of people must turn away from this kind of God. If, if you want to live, follow sexual freedom and sexual libertinism, then you really have to turn away from the God of this Bible and behave like he doesn't exist or just turn a blind eye to whatever he's got to say. And other than that, you are not free. How can you be free and marry and have a girlfriend if you're going to follow this God of the Bible? So Peter says that their philosophy and their argument is generated by lust. And if you are very lustful, you can easily fall prey to their propositions or suppositions because what they are saying and purporting really resonates with what already is inside you. It like, it's like someone who doesn't want to do evangelism and I hear someone preaching that, you know, you don't have to tell anybody about Christ. Just live a normal life. He said, yeah, I've always believed. It's already, see, you didn't, you just didn't want it. It's just, you just didn't. Somebody who does not want to, um, who has bitterness against maybe their father or their mom. And they felt their mother was not a good person, their father, and they have, have more bitterness. And when they hear someone say, sometimes the Bible actually allows you to walk away from a mother or a father who has never been nice to you. They, do you know what? They say, yeah, yeah, you are the one preaching the truth. You are the one preaching the truth because, yeah, that's the same thing with the issues of tithe. Some people, after they use it for personal aggrandization or aggrandizement after they use it for personal pursuits material personal material gain see when you are getting closer to your the end of your life your philosophy begins to change as well materialism doesn't really bother you very much when you are getting closer to the end of your life when people are getting closer to the end of their life, it's likely they can also come up with a certain philosophy that might not purport um, materialism, which is good, but it can also, because of their desperation and realizing how much, when you become so materialistic, towards the end of your life, you find out that it's meaningless. It's vanity, yeah. When the sun is setting on your life, you, and you've lived a very materialistic life, you begin to realize that all this is vanity. So if you are a preacher who is given to materialism, it's very likely you begin to come out with a philosophy that is also tips over to the other side. That some of the things I've, I've, I've taught is wrong. Because you, maybe you taught it with a bad heart. You taught it, but the truth, you took the truth and stretched it so far for your personal gains. Now that you are about to die, you are beginning to say, my personal gaze. Like as someone who was imprisoned, he was really preaching material gospel. And he ended up in crisis. When you go down that line, a lot of other things also come. 
It ended up in crisis. When he came from prison, he said, all oh, these things many people are preaching is all false. You don't even need church building. You don't need anything. You don't need to give money to any church. I, I was wrong. When he was preaching, he found out that he was wrong. But follow people who are ardent, genuine theologians who are not materialistic. Their focus is Bible knowledge and biblical teaching. The things that the others took out of context and ran off with in the name of materialism, they never ran off, but they still touched those things. One of the things that blessed me one day, I was listening to a Presbyterian minister, a senior seasoned Presbyterian minister many years ago. I'm mean, talking about an authority in theological matters. And he was asked that if someone has relocated to a different neighborhood and the good church, they believe in attending a church where you'll be fed the word of God. It's fundamental. That's actually basic to Christianity. A church you go and you'll be fed the word of God, taught the word of God, learn from the word of God. So he said, and I don't find any Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church around me. Say, you have moved from here and you live in Stoke-on-Trent. I mean, it's not far. Oh, Southampton. And he says that there's no church. I don't find any Bible-believing church. And the only Bible-believing church I can find is in, in Central London called Caris. They, they ask him, I'm just using that. He said, what should I do? So yeah, travel every day to church. Travel. And he made a statement. This, this seasoned theologian, he said, before you moved, you should have considered your spiritual state before the salary. You are looking at how cheap properties are, how good schools are. Those are the factors that motivated your relocation. You didn't consider your spiritual well-being, how well you be fed. Do that journey. Ah. So suddenly I realized that it's not only some of us who believe these things. So some of the things that we teach, they are sound. Just that sometimes some also can take it off and run off with it in a way that doesn't make it look sound. So sometimes when people are coming to the end of their life, especially if they have taken the scripture out of context for their own personal gains, now they have to repent. So, but their, their repentance may end up saying that all these things we have been teaching is wrong. No, it's not wrong. You didn't teach it right in context. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? So it's, it's very important to, to be fed well. Other than that, sometimes the last in your heart will be looking for some... Can you imagine someone begins to teach that you don't have to be in church every Sunday? You don't have to be in church. You can stay at home because you are the church. I'm telling you, there are people who are watching me online who say, yes. I've always... I've always believed that. Why? Last. So he said, these teachers are motivated by last. And the favorite thing they attack... Is the second coming. So from the text we read, Peter says that, from the verse 8, um, uh, Peter said, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In other words, he's, he's really coming. It doesn't matter how long it's taking because the next verse tells us why. That's, don't base on the length of time because your judgment of length of time might be different. 
Like when a child says, Mommy, I've been waiting for so long. It's too long. No. Um, so, it's, it's, so, your type of judgment. So, the verse 9 says that God does not count slackness. Okay. So, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as others, other men. In other words, take note of something. He dropped in the word promise. The second coming of Christ is a promise. It's a promise. It's not just the second coming that is a promise. But it's quite interesting here. He said, God is not slack concerning his promise as a man counselor. By his long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but everyone to, for, uh, that all should come to repentance. That is why he's giving us enough time. He's giving time. But definitely it's going to happen. So that's what he's saying. Don't let these guys mock us and now question the second coming. Because if you lose sight of the second coming, you cannot live a certain lifestyle the way God wants you to. Now look at the next verse. Verse 10 says that, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Wow. There's a time coming when the earth will pass away, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Shall melt. Now, I was when I was studying this, I, after reading from others and hearing what others have got to say, something got, uh, my attention was drawn to something about how, you know, this is, I've said it before, this is nothing compared to global warming. This is global melting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the young Bible. It says the earth will melt. It says the elements. It says that by the day of the Lord will come, in the, in the, which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent, this is warming, not warming, fervent heat. And the earth also and the works therein shall be burnt up. Now, this is not, watch this very carefully, what I'm about to say. When you talk about climate change and global warming, we all have to do our responsible part to mitigate um, worrying consequences in our times or in our world. So, for instance, if bringing in a lot of fuels in this room will make people cough. You can't say one day people will die anyway, so let the fumes come. No, that is irresponsible. So we have a responsibility to do what we can to reduce um, um, plastic wastes and all those stuff. All right. We have a responsibility. But watch this. What the scripture just spoke about is not talking about eventually everything will melt away because the, not the way eventually everybody will die. Do you believe it? Yes. Some of you don't believe it. That's why you are investing so much into your body. You are growing old. You are growing old. The older you are, the closer you are to your grave. Aye. Yeah. So the world, the scripture says that it will be melted. It's not talking about as time goes on, things will deteriorate and deteriorate. So we can do what we have to do and actually save it from deteriorating. But then when the time comes, God, listen, watch this. God is behind it. He is going to, all right, in the days of Noah, God flooded the world and wiped out entire humanity. 
And then when they came out of the flood, Noah gave an offering. And God was so touched with the offering. He vowed that I will no more destroy man like that. So some are saying, but God vowed in the days of Noah. That's when he showed the rainbow. That's where the rainbow came from. I will no more destroy man like that. So, um, and then people will say that, but God said he won't destroy the earth anymore. But what is about here? You see, the, you didn't read the fine print in that statement God made. He said he will not destroy it with water. But this one, he said, is going to do it with fire. Yeah, fire. The fine print says that I'm going the world, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. He said, these things will be burnt up. The next verse said that, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What are these things? Every physical thing you see, it will be dissolved. In fact, I saw, I was studying, I said, is it going to be dissolved or is it going to be rolled away? All of it. Because in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12, it says that the earth will be rolled like a mat. Yes. And as a vesture shall thou fold them up and they shall be changed. So it's talking about the earth. It shall be folded up like a mat. Can you imagine? You are, you are in your house and then they start folding. <laughs> no, this one, are, you are not being evicted. You are being the house. <laughs> Roll that way. Yeah. It's a very serious. The promise, God gave the promise in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, he said, Behold, that's where he said, I am going to uh, make a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come. This is a promise. Now, when you look at Isaiah 66, verse 15 and 16, he said, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with the chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. I see. So this burning is God himself. It's not like the earth as it ages and we, uh, global warms up, it global burns up. No. This God himself, the globe can be cool, but when he's coming to execute his judgment, he has promised already in the Old Testament that this earth shall pass away because it has been compromised by the evil one. It has been compromised. And so last, epithumia is what rules. In 1 John chapter 5, he says that the whole world lies under the sway. Can you imagine? Of the evil one. The whole world. The Bible calls him the God. He said, and we know, verse 19, and the whole world lies in wickedness. When you read, I think, the New King James, no, or the New International, one of the... Well, lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the enemy is the wicked one. The whole world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible calls him the God of this world. In whom the God of this world. So Satan is the God of this world. He has taken over this world through Adam. 
So people say, where, where, if there is God, why are all these? No, there is God. But he's about to bring judgment, rather. He's about to bring judgment at the time. So he will judge the enemy and those who have followed him. But whilst he's waiting, he's waiting that people will repent. He's waiting. If there is God, that's why you haven't died the way you should have died when you went off and you did all those kind of things. So, the, he promised that it's going to happen. In Micah chapter 1, verse 4. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Micah 1, 4. says that, and the mountains shall be molten under him. And the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire. And as the waters that are poured down a steep place. That's how the things are going to melt. This is Micah, the prophet. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1 says, For behold, the day cometh, wow, that shall burn as an eye, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. It's like, you know, the way chaff burns. It said, it shall be like that. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. It's coming. God has promised this. Now, after Jesus came, the, the last day started. His first coming initiated the beginning of the last days. He's coming. He said, I'll be back. And the early church were preaching. They were preaching. He's coming. He's coming. Now people, false prophets say, he's not coming anywhere. Since they said he's coming. Since the prophet said. See and then Peter said, God is no slack concerning his promise. But he's, he, he says that He's long-suffering that we should repent, that wish him that he doesn't wish that any should perish. That is a very strong statement. Not willing that any should perish. Any means any. But that all should come to repentance. He's just giving rope, enough rope, enough room for change. He said, but the day of the Lord will certainly come. It's certainly coming when the elements will melt. Look at the verse 11. So since you know, seeing that all this shall be dissolved, what manner of person is she? This is very important. Shall we all read this from the screen? Let's go on louder. So, and godliness. So he said, because you know this is about to happen, what kind of person are you supposed to be? So that means the kind of person you are supposed to be will always be influenced by what you know is coming. So then, if you don't think it's coming, it will also make you become a different person than you could be when you know it's coming. So you can understand the plan of the enemy to take our eyes or our focus off the coming. So we end up living in a compromised state. We live as though life is all about now. Life is all about now and everything is about me, now, me, now, now, and never. But it's a scene. This is talking to the believers. Seeing that these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be? In what? In holy conduct and godliness. It will affect our behavior. When you know that everything we brought into judgment, you don't need to break a law of the land. But you know that you need to live. You see, there are, there are things you can do where you, the law will not convict you. Mm. 
Oh, yeah. For instance, if you have a bitterness against somebody and you decide, I would never like you, I hate you. I, how can you be convicted with that? But because you know there's a judgment coming, you cannot harbor hatred or bitterness. Irreparable, irrecoverable bitterness. You can't. Even if you feel like I can't let go because you know what is coming. You don't have a choice. So, there are things we can get away with so long as human systems are concerned. But on the day of uh, his coming, in fact, in 2 Corinthians, actually like quoting the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, he says that, for we must all appear before the eye. This, this is a very scary scripture. And everyone, that everyone may, may receive, really? The things done in his body? Everyone. So it's, it's time to receive. There's a time coming where you'll be rewarded, you'll receive based on what you have done. Well, so going back to Peter, it says that what kind of person ought you to be? Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of. So you look for it and you actually want it to come quickly. Sometimes, you know, when you are going through sleepless nights, you are waiting for the day to dawn. Is that true? When you go through a bad night and it's too long, the night is too long. You're just waiting for the day to dawn. In the same way, when you start, those of us who have been to schools before, especially secondary schools and university, when you start, you can't wait for this course to be over. Or professional courses. Sometimes you just can't wait. It's too long. Because of what you are enduring, it makes you hasten the coming of the end day. So he says that, verse 12, because of our eyes being on his coming, we look for and hasten unto the coming of the day of God. Now he calls it the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Somebody will say, but how can you be expecting this to happen? You are, you are a doom's prophet. Why are you expecting that this thing should come early? It's not because I hate people. It's not because I want people to be judged. It's because I want to be free from this pressure. So sometimes your desire to meet the Lord so you will live with him in peace. In fact, in Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, 4 to 6, I think so. Gosh, uh, why won't this scripture motivate you to expect his coming? God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the form. Ah, come on. If this, you're expecting the coming of Christ, then you, this can motivate you to expect his coming very quickly, because it can be very lonely. It can be very painful. It can be very difficult. It can be a long journey when you are living the way God wants you to live. However, God also rewards you heavily and beautifully on this earth. Listen, I've been young and now I'm old. I'm not too old. <laughs> I'm just quoting the scripture. I'm, I'm not too old, but I've seen that if you walk with God in faithfulness, he rewards you. Say, God knows how to take care of those who trust in him. Never forget that statement. God knows how to take care of those who trust in him. 
I, sometimes, I, not only in my life, my life is a classic evidence to me. I've lived, worked with God in my own small way, and I've seen his faithfulness in a very big way. In a very colorful way. That I can't deny that God is faithful. I, I, just, I, I just can't. And it's, Pastor, it's not only me. I've seen people around me. I've seen his faithfulness in people who stay faithful to his word. I've seen it. I've seen it. So what manner of persons do you ought to be seeing that these things will be dissolved? A time is coming when all the things we are making noise about will not be there. Verse 13 says, nevertheless, oh Jesus, thank you Lord. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise. Did you see this promise? Did you notice that he keeps mentioning promise? What's this promise? I want to draw your attention to something. I intentionally read from the Old Testament in Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 15 and 16. And I read from Micah, chapter 1, verse 4. Malachi, chapter 4, verse 1. The second coming and the, the earth being dissolved has already been prophesied by God with the prophets. That's why Peter started with the prophets. He says that um, there will be false prophets. And they spoke about how um, we have a sure word of prophecy. So he, he actually made reference that all the things I'm saying, the pro I'm talking about the promises of God. And is it interesting how he kept mentioning the promises of God? Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, the promises of God. And then chapter 3, he kept uh, making reference to the promise of God about three different times. The promise, the promise, the promise. So the promise one was referring to what the Old Testament prophets have said, which the New Testament apostles have said. So the Old Testament prophets have said, the apostles are still saying it, and he even takes it further. So look at this again, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. See, there's a coming a new heaven and a new earth. That means this old, uh, current, incumbent heavens and heaven is going to dissolve. In First Peter chapter 1 verse 25, it talks about how heaven, uh, by the word of the Lord, endures forever. Okay, So the only thing that can outlast everything is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 24 verse 35 says that heaven and earth shall pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. It says that the word, the only thing that is Permanent is the word, is the promise. Heaven and earth is passing away. That's why I read Isaiah chapter 50, 65, verse 17. Isaiah 65, 17, where God promised that I'll, I'll make a new heaven. Behold, I'll create new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. It says that for us the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. So God has promised already in the Old Testament that one is going to burn the existing heavens and earth with fire. And he said, but I'm going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 1, he said, behold, wow, I like that one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. It's gone. Those who think that the next time you go always be at the beach in heaven, there's, not, there's no more sea. There's no, no more sea. It's passed away. So this new heaven and new earth thing, God has promised. And so in the verse 13, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, 
It, it make reference to the promise, that promise of the new heaven. There's a promise of the old heaven and earth going to be bent. And there's also a promise of a new heaven coming. And that heaven and earth, righteousness dwells inside it. Everything, you, you, you can leave your door on if there is anything like your door. Leave your door open. Go somewhere. Go to town and come. You can leave your money in front of your door and no one will come in to take it. No one will take it. You can open your, your bathroom curtains and be bathroom. No one will look at you. You don't need contracts to be signed because everybody is truthful. You don't need a court. Nothing. Because righteousness dwells in this, this period. How many of us would like that place? So then it says that we look for that one. We, we focus. Nevertheless, according to other, we look for. We look for that. We look for that. When you die, it's not the end. Death is never the end of your life. Death is never the end of your life. To the animal is the end, but to you, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in the body. The body is just a tent you are going to put off, but you continue. That's why they said it's gone. Why is it gone? The person is there, so it's gone. What's happened? They're checking me. Let's try the pulse. It's gone. Where is he gone? He has left this body. He's gone somewhere else. So death to the human being is not the end. It's appointed unto man who wants to die. And then, ah, after death, what again? So after death, that's not the end? No. Death is checking out of the physical world. The only way you can check out is death. That's why Jesus died. But he came back to where his body with a glorified body, and then went up with the body, showing us that we too, one day, we are going to meet him with our bodies. Yeah. The, the Greek philosophy is matter is evil. So uh, spiritual things and physical things can't come together. So they separate the secular from the sacred. If, if this is wrong or anything natural is not good, anything spiritual is good. So the, but Hebrew philosophy, Hebrew philosophy based on the teachings of God, we are so, we have soul, soul, spirit, and body. God is not only saving your spirit and leave your soul and body. Your body is also needed. So what was going to happen? In the resurrection, that's why the Apostles' Creed, we, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Because now when you, a Christian dies, or when anybody died, they check out of the body. At the second coming of the rapture, we will be reunited to our bodies. Ah, so, if I didn't take care of my body and my teeth are gone in heaven, am I going to be teethless? No. You are going to be in your, in your perfect state. You, his Bible said we shall be like Jesus when we see him. How old was he when he left? 33. So that's good news for all of you who are older. You shall be 33 and then you won't have birthdays again. Because you will be 33 forever. Every day you are 33. Every day you are 33. For eternity, you are, you'll be in your optimum state. So our, our, our bodies will be united, reunited with our spirits. But in a glorified state, that's why it says that Paul said, you say, so in what body shall we resurrect? He said, Paul actually used the word, oh fool. 
First Corinthians chapter 15, I think from verse 35, 30 something. He said, when you sow something to the earth, when you sow a seed, the seed gets rotten. But with what body does it come up with? In the same way, we will also come back up with glorified bodies. Verse 35. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? You see, that sounds very intelligent. Look at the answer. Oh, that's a strong one. Thou fool. That, we, <laughs> that which thou soweth is not quickened except it dies. So the body will die. But look at the next verse. What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. That's, that's simple to understand. Isn't it? Yeah. I was even struggling to understand that thing. <laughs> Let's go to the next verse. It says that, but God gives it a new body as yeah. God pleases. Yeah. And to each seed, its own body. Yeah. The next verse. To each seed, its own. All flesh, and all flesh is not the same. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and of birds. When you go read it, it's very interesting. It said, for in the twinkling of our eye, we shall be changed. And this mortal body shall put on incorruption. So definitely, we will have a body. It's not the same body, but it's the same you. When we see, we can identify, oh, that's you, that's you. Because we will know you by your, the body. So physical things are not useless to God. That is why he first of all creates new man. For if a man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So he creates a new humanity, new man, almost novice. He creates new man, and guess what? After he creates the new man, the old, in the first place, he created the heavens and the earth, and then he brought a man in, and man came to spoil it. So now he's creating new man. And after we have, he has gathered the new man, he will wipe the old one, and then he'll bring a new heaven and earth, and then put the new man into the new heaven. And there. you'll be there. You'll be there. In conclusion, let me end, let me end. And I hope somebody's getting something anyway. I'm just trying to explain the text. Verse 14 says that, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that we look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Did you see that? He said, be diligent. You have to do something so that you'll be found of God in him. You'll be found of him in peace without spot or blameless. Why? Because of what is ahead. Is there? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such thing, if you are expecting your mom to return from the journey with a lot of benefits, and she said that make sure when I come, the kitchen is clean, and you know she's coming today, you are expecting, come on, you will overclean the place because of what you know is coming. Sometimes, you know, promises can help us do things, right? Yeah. When someone promises you that if you do this, or your job, most of us, as the reason why we work is the promise. The promise at the end of the day will pay you. At the end of the month, they will pay you. That's why you work that hard. And when they tell you, they tell you that after this season, we will increase your pay if you are able to meet these targets. You, you exceed the targets. Because you won't pay rise. So promises do work. You know, and rewards. Rewards. 
Don't keep rewarding a child who is failing in school. No. Say, because your results were wrong, this time, we are not celebrating your birthday. We are not. We are not. It's fair. So, but tell them ahead of time. You have to do that ahead of time so they can, they, they, they can correspond their pain to their behavior because they knew it was coming. But if you don't tell them ahead of time, it's not fair. That's why God is telling us ahead of time. These things you are chasing, they are all going to go. He's telling us ahead of time. He's warning us ahead of time that it's going to bring new heaven. Because of that, seeing that this is coming, you have to make sure you'll be found in peace in the Lord. Because it's happening. It's coming. And let me end on the verse 15. I thought I was going to finish it today. Look at the verse 15. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Please give me New King James. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Give us New International Version. I just want you to understand it yourself. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. The reason why he has delayed means that actually there's an opportunity for something to work better for you. Yeah. That's why he has delayed. The reason why maybe he has not brought you that husband. Yeah. Maybe the divorce material in your life has not been disengaged yet. So he does not want you to suffer the fate of what others in your family have suffered. So he might delay it a little bit so Pastor David can keep preaching these things. Preaching this until your paradigm has shifted. That you're ready. When you marry, you are going to have they lived happily ever after. Don't you want that one? Yeah. I prefer that to just marrying quickly. Delayed marriage, which will make you have lived happily ever after, is better than quick marriage and lived very sadly ever after. So it's very important that sometimes you should know, we should know, that God's delay is working in your salvation. So sometimes what you think is delay is actually a blessing in disguise. So he says, consider it salvation. Consider it salvation. Consider the long suffering of God, salvation. I think I will end here because I don't want to preach too long today, even though I've ended up preaching. Thank you for listening to this message by David Entry. When God speaks, works show, and the works will surely show in your life. To hear more from David Entry, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to Caris Church on YouTube. Don't forget to share and subscribe to our podcast so you're always up to date. Be blessed.